Welcome to another episode of It Simply Isn't Done. I'm Barry Petrucci. I'm Just Davenport. Together, we, we are, are the Irreverent Reverends. From Portage Chapel Hill Church. Can't believe it. And uh, we're still in our series called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, colon, Growing in Prayer. And Barry, your message title was? I don't remember. Aw. Aw. I did remember. I just wanted to hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, if you got a chance to hear it yesterday, um, either online or in person, you can skip ahead to our reflections. Um, yeah, and we'll catch you there. Psalm 76. In Judah, God is known. God's name is great in Israel. The abode of the Lord has been established in Salem, God's dwelling place in Zion. There, God broke the flashing arrows, the shield, the sword, and the weapons of war. Glorious are you, more majestic than the everlasting mountains. The courageous were stripped of their spoil. They sank into sleep. None of the troops was able to lift a hand. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse lay stunned. But you indeed are awesome. Who can stand before you when your anger is? For from the heavens you uttered judgment. The earth feared and was still. When God rose up to establish judgment to save all the oppressed of the earth, Selah. Human wrath serves only to praise you when you bind that last bit of your wrath around you. Make vows to the Lord your God and perform them. Let all who are around him bring gifts to the one who is awesome, who cuts off the spirit of princes, who inspires fear in the kings of the earth. A word of God that is still speaking. Thank you, Joy. Good morning. Morning. It is still true, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Amen. Pray with me. God, may my words become your word in the hearing of your people by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So if you were confused by the scripture, it's okay. It's a, a lot of long ago history and a lot of understanding what the city of Salem or Jerusalem meant to the nation Israel. The city was understood to be the very location of God. It's where God existed. And imagine what it would mean to you to have that city destroyed, moving from glory and awe 
to destruction and awe, to shock and awe, through to the aspiration that God will rebuild perfect and will make injustices right and that all will be once again awesome. All that in that one little psalm. Awesome. The earth feared. The earth was in awe and was still when God rose up to establish judgment to save all the oppressed of the earth. The aspiration of Psalm 76. Awe is our stopping point in our Growing in Prayer series. We've looked at praying without ceasing. We looked at exactly who is this God we are praying to. We looked at praying together, that corporate prayer that we all love so much. And this week, we're doing aww. Aww. Yeah. Aww. I think half of Facebook is full of these awe pictures. In Dennis Lehane's new novel, uh, Small Mercies, Michael Bobby Coyne, who's gone by Bobby like forever, is a, he is a recovering heroin addict in Boston in 1974. He's feeling the pressure of his life generally and particularly of his life as a big city homicide detective. He's feeling the sweat and he's feeling the shakes and he's worried that he is falling into a desire to use again to go back to his heroin. So Bobby goes to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, as was his habit that he'd sort of fallen out of. It's a small meeting in the basement of a Catholic church. The circle is set for 25, but there are only a handful at the meeting tonight. And no one is talking. The meeting leader turns to Bobby. How about you, friend? Who doesn't love that? How about you, friend, care to share? The novel continues. It's been months, it's written, since Bobby shared at a meeting. He's been warned by his sponsor, Mel, a retired cop, that this is another sign that a slip could be coming. Walling oneself off into one's own stuff is its own form of dishonesty. So after a few dry coughs and a few false starts, Bobby manages to get out a couple of sentences. He says, the city here, it's kind of gray all the time, you know? He looks up at the ceiling. Right now, the sun shines during the day, but it's pretty gray seven months out of the year. Or maybe, I, I don't know, maybe it was just gray in my house as I was growing up. I think of my, mom, think of my house after my mother died, maybe even when she was still alive. It just... It just feels like everything was the color of the sidewalk, even the air. But in country, when I was in Vietnam, he looks around that Narcotics Anonymous, Anonymous circle and he says, you've never seen the color green until you've been in Vietnam. I've been trying to describe it for years and I've just been freaking failing, you know? The rice patties in the morning with the mist coming off, the, off of them and the blood, blood orange sky at night and birds flying low over the deltas. And I don't know. 
It just, it just looks like a place gods would choose to go on vacation, a place filled with wonder. But that beauty, that beauty got all tangled up with death and messed up my head once I realized that I was death walking around with my big gun. I was the one killing off the beauty. He notices he's involuntarily hung his head and he, and he corrects it, looking all of them in the eye. But when I, when I got into heroin, when I shot up, that went away. And all I could feel was the wonder. When I shot up, it felt like, it felt like, like all that beauty just spread through my veins. I, it found a home in my body, and it was perfect. I was whole. A blonde woman in the circle blinks. A single tear falls from her eye and breaks as it crests her cheekbone into three linear tears that feel like, for Bobby, like a trio of sacred seas, communion, consecration, and consummation. The woman looks away, but Bobby can feel the eyes of the rest of the room on him. He shrugs, suddenly embarrassed that he's gone on for too long. Awe. Awe is that sense of something beyond our understanding. You know these things, the, the birth of a baby, the transitioning from this life into that which is beyond, the spiritual awe of communion, of baptism, of the marking of ashes, the anointing with oil, the awe of amazing vistas of God's good creations, the awe of having beauty wiped out in natural catastrophe, in war, in disease that does not respond to treatment, awe, wonder. Standing in the space of mystery is our response to stuff beyond our understanding, beyond our control. Awe, although often fleeting and hard to describe, serves a vital social function, writes a research team led by psychologist Paul Piff of the University of California, Irvine. Says, by diminishing the emphasis on the individual self, awe encourages people to forego our inclination towards self-interest to improve the welfare of others. In the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, in case you might have missed it along the way, Piff and his colleagues argue experiences that elicit awe. Say, stargazing at a starry sky or a vast ocean, they tend to make us feel small and insignificant. This in turn leads to greater generosity as our personal gains or losses seem less important. In the study, Reminding participants of a time when they experienced awe increased their tendencies to endorse ethical decisions across a variety of scenarios. All of this is to say that in the face of awe, people behaved better. <laughs> Aww. It's okay, you can do it. It all seems to mean that awe leads to more pro-social tendencies by broadening individuals' perspective to include entities vaster and more powerful than oneself, and diminishing the salience of the individual. So, 
individuals and individual problems become far less critical when we stand in awe before an amazing sunset or a lush green forest or a jungle vista or a sunset obscured by wildfire, smoke, and ash or the destruction of cities by repeated bombing or the wonder of new birth or the holding of the hand of a loved one as life slips away and they go somewhere in mystery. Awe puts our lives in a broader context, right? It reminds us that there is much that is bigger than us, takes our breath away for even a second, and quite in spite of ourselves, we then mutter, oh God, my God, that's amazing. My God, that's beautiful. My God, that's awesome. And we sing, oh, oh Lord, my God, when I, in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. And we shrink, and yet we grow as we know that we are beloved of that one who creates. Quite beside ourselves, we form prayer in this mystery, in this wonder, in this the bigger than, in this beyond. As the psychologists talk about it, awe moves us to consider more than ourselves and positively affects our behavior on behalf of others. It is prayer, the place where we become partners with the mystery of God in the moment of awe. Oh, God offering an ascent to the one who is God and we are not, the moment of being humbled in our smallness. We have family in Ludington, and it is ritual to go by the Ludington Beach and watch that sunset. And it is never the same. And it is equally awe-inspiring and reminds me every time that I am unique and small. It is prayer as we move from that moment to respond in gratitude and, and to the will and have the will to co-create with God. Those things we value, kindness, healing, righteousness, love, justice. Being aware of the bigger picture makes us more mindful of these things that put us all on the same plane before God. If you consider what we try to do in worship on Sundays, perhaps you've considered it subconsciously, we put all this stuff together every week for all of you participating. It is to gather in big music of praise to God who creates, is larger than mere life, yet enters into this world, pitches tent with us and communes with us. Worship continues then to teach us and motivate us that this God calls us to emulate the perfect human, even Jesus the Christ. And then worship sends us out to do that very thing in our week of living as bearers of the Christ, as Christians. And our final blessing has the push to know that we are blessed as we go and as we serve. And the week starts all over again. As in worship, so in our lives of prayer, awe is a fine place to start. I commend it to you. We tend to dive right into prayer with the list of stuff that's troubling us, our places of discontent, of dis-ease, where we, where we are unwell, or those places where we lift up those we love who are struggling, or the community has needs that are beyond our individual care, and the world is just generally, oh God, a dumpster filed fire, can you not do something about it? The prayer traditions of the ancients have always done what self-help and motivational TED talkers have brought us to with ever 
ever greater intensity in recent years, right? The value of beginning with gratitude, that's good. Largely, the secular culture calls us to be grateful for us, for who we are, for what we have, and for those who are most intimately around us and have impact on us. And that's great, and it's certainly a significant part of prayer, but the ancients of the church began as we begin in worship with gratitude for all that is beyond our knowing, framing our personal and corporate prayer time in awe. That puts us in a place of humility and openness, right? It's an intimate confession that God, awesome God, is God, and guess what? We are not. I close with this from the Anglican Episcopal Book of Common Worship. I invite you to pray with your eyes open. God of the cosmos, your love reaches beyond space, beyond time. We are astonished by your, fast, by your vast creation. Innumerable galaxies surrounded by dark matter, elegant structures and staggering variety, the interplay of matter and energy, the pull of gravity, the speed of light, all showing your wisdom and your glory. Oh God, we are dust and stardust made in your image. We are part of the creation you are making new. Let our awe increase like your ever-expanding universe until we find ourselves lost in wonder, love, and praise. Through Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, we pray and we say, Amen. 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 All right, welcome back. Yes, so, Barry, you chose a very interesting psalm for all psalm 76 through, how you got there with psalm 76 so i was interested in how the ancients understood um understood the wonder of god's creation and the wonder of god's activity in their time and it's interesting because the psalm deals with both uh, the wonder of God in the world and the destruction of Jerusalem in kind of one breath um, and and has this aspirational sense of God's recovery of what was and um, and the awe of what what will transpire as God rebuilds and reinstitutes uh, God's reign. So that's how I got to got to Psalm 76. Covers all of the awes. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, we we experience those things, right? I mean, we watch the news and we we have that same sense. I, you know, left um I left worship yesterday and went to to visit a family and walked in uh and they had the news on uh, of eight more shot and killed in a uh, mall massacre. And it's like it's a different kind of awe, but it's that same takes your breath away sense of something that is beyond us. I thought, um, maybe I'll back up. I, I was curious as to how you arrived with your uh, literary story and how that came together in your mind um, with awe, because it's not the usual way we consider thinking through awe. So it's it's a novel that I was reading as as I was considering the sermon, and the, I was so struck by 
the storytelling of this cop, uh, this detective cop who was, came out of Vietnam as a heroin addict and um, doing this, this recalling of, of how beautiful Vietnam was. And as he talked about that, uh, at the same time, we were asking the community to submit pictures that represented awe for them. And they were by and large pictures of kids, pictures of, of sunsets, mountain vistas. Uh, and he was talking about it in the same way. He was talking about Vietnam in the same way, which is not a way that we typically think about Vietnam. And then he talks about his own um, his, his own responsibility for the destruction of that that awe and bringing another kind of awe. And I looked at the I looked at the historical photos from the napalm bombing that went on and that just wiped out the the beauty of the land. And so I was struck by when I was reading that it 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 begged to be pulled into that into that message. And it became kind of an early um, early way in the sermon for me to to talk about the the tensions between those two kinds of awe. I, I have heard tale um, too about how some of those images, particularly from Vietnam, would show up on nightly news in a way that would would never be on TV today. Right. And um, how they terrorized people at home as well, you know, knowing that their loved ones were there, they had um, they had been there and come back, and the the shock and awe part of awe that we often. I think I have a harder time identifying that feeling in the moment. I thought it was helpful to have some language around all the types of awe, both um, through your story and then through the scripture. What did you want our main takeaway to be? I, I think I wanted us to, um, to get this, to, to be able to embrace that there are all kinds of things that we, we feel awe in response to. And that we feel like they're beyond us, and yet God calls us to be invested in them. Um, and uh, so, so the the Vietnam stuff. You're absolutely right that the way in which the war was covered uh, in this relatively new media of television um, really had a huge impact on changing the course of that war and turning the American public against what we were doing um, as a nation. There, and so I think that we have that same capability now as we consider um, the wonder of God's creation and the wonder of what human beings are able to do to destroy that creation. We've got an investment in, in what Psalm 76 ends up with as the aspiration of, of the recovery of, of God's uh, wonder in the world. I really appreciated um, particularly you framing this around our prayer life and how it's most common for us to be bringing our individual concerns and perhaps complaints, you know, or asks to God um, instead of maybe first coming from a place of awe. Um, and I, that was a really interesting and, and I think helpful framing of what um, we can do in our prayer life that would help expand it for many of us. So I found that helpful in thinking through how, how often do I approach prayer, um, intentional prayer with awe. And sometimes like that can, I think that can be hard um, because uh, I think 
maybe not by definition, but certainly in practice, uh, cannot be mundane, in, meaning things that we do every single day without intention. You know, so you'd have to approach something very intentionally to kind of dig past and see the awe in it because there's awe in so many things. But if you're just kind of going through your daily whatever, your schedule, it's, it's kind of hard to take notice of the awesome things around us all the time because they become so familiar. Yeah. Well, I and that, like, when I go, oh, go ahead, Barry. No, that's okay. You go ahead, Jess. When I, um, when I go to a new place, um, and I remember this in, in Appalachia a lot, uh, spending summers there. So I'd be there for a little bit. And I just remember like the, you know, the fog sitting in the mountains and it was just so beautiful. And people would say like, oh, if you lived here, you'd get used to it. You know, I found that, you know, I, I grew up around a lot of grain fields and um, could see for miles and miles and miles. And you could always see the sunset and the sunrise. And I didn't realize until I moved, you know, how awesome that was or how much I would miss it or how much I would have really had that formed me and shaped me and my understanding of, of a lot. So I think there, there is something interesting about awe and that we can become, um, we can become kind of numb to it perhaps if we're not thoughtful. One of the places I did not go, um, sort of a rabbit hole, the linguistics uh, around awe and the juxtaposition of off-some and off-full uh, mm. and how we use those. And, and you know, I too spent a lot of time in, at ASP uh, and the, the, the striking nature of the wonder of the, the hills and the mountains and the fog and the, the beauty of it all. And then getting down close and there's lots of awful stuff. There's awful poverty. There's awful, uh, awful use of land. Um, awful infrastructure. Uh, I'm sorry. Infrastructure. Infrastructure. Um, yeah. yeah, and uh, pollution, and uh, you know things that that once you get beyond the, the vistas, there's there's a lot of awfulness. And I think that that is that is the the reality of the world. And so the pictures that we that I ended up uh, asking Eric to put on the screen on Sunday were a, a mixture of, of those things. And sometimes it's the awful that moves us. You know, we see awful images of, of, um, of kids and, uh, and kids and particularly mothers dying of starvation in, in other countries and to a lesser extent, but still true in our own. We, we need to see those images in order for us to be moved. Um, and as, as much as we are moved by a kitten and a duck, uh, a duckling cuddling with each other, you know, that is a particular kind of awe, uh, but it tends not to move us to activity in the way that, that something that is awful might. So, so having both of those, I think are important. So as we're thinking about, uh, you know, our prayer room at the church, it, it, both of those kinds of images are things that we bring in prayer. And your, I think your point I find really interesting too, particularly as folks of privilege, with how do we tell stories um, and help people engage? Some they're moved such that we can create our world as the kingdom of God without exploiting them, without making them feel like a petting zoo, without you know 
without a kind of some of those, because you're right in that the, some of those pictures can move us, but sometimes people just wallow. And they wallow there in the, in the news, they wallow there in the bad, like how do we, you know, what is the, the movement from that place of awful to actually something meaningful or transformative, as opposed to just witnessing tragedy and taking it in, but not, not knowing how to fix it or to do something about it. That's, I thought about that a lot. I know you have too. So I'm kind of curious. Yeah. My, my experience of it is that um, it requires, it requires uh, more than one person to see the image and respond to it in the same way. And uh, individually, I tend to wallow. You and I see the same thing and go, this is not correct. And there ought to be something we can do that there ought to be becomes a, a conversation. And typically we invite other people into the conversation and that wallowing becomes a movement. Um, if not a movement, at least an activity, an action that tries to make some change. Um, does it happen as often as, as I think it should? Nope. Um, and I know that it happens often, often enough that um, we do try to make some productive changes in the world. And it's not, and it's not strictly prayerful Christians that are doing this by any means. In fact, I think that prayerful Christians often spend a whole lot more time wallowing because that's what they think we're supposed to do. That's what we think we're supposed to do. If I feel bad enough about it, that's good enough. How we, how we end up being the hands and feet of Christ, that's, a, um, that's an intense topic for how to do that with uh ensuring everyone's dignity and, and folks have agency but just the the mere the mere taking in of something whether it is awesome or awful in and of itself um hopefully moves us to a to a different sort of space hopefully that is transformational in some capacity whether whether the action is i think simply um sitting with reality sometimes. Like there are some times where there is not a particular thing you can do about a situation. Um, and, and there's not like a momentary response, um, but there's a broader, more collectivist, like, you know, having, have, doing the work and having the feelers. But I, I think those moments are part of uh, the way that God helps transform us. Hopefully. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I think too often we see things and and go to a knee jerk response, which by definition is not a prayerful response. A prayerful response takes us into a place of of offering the awe and the awful, um, and discerning what our place is in that. What is what is what is ours to do? What is mine to do? Mm hmm. Well, that's some very good stuff for us to think and consider. What do, are there other rabbit holes that you went down? Um, they're not coming to me at this moment, but I'm sure they were. <laughs> <laughs> the message is complete. You already did awesome and awful. That that is, I'll be thinking about that for a while. That's fun. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. It's uh, it's been an interesting series to 
to play around with because we we talk about prayer and we do prayer quite a bit but delving in in preaching uh we don't do with great frequency so it's been a good series and you're preaching next week i am on intercessory prayer around the topic of healing and wholeness yeah and we just uh had a little conversation staff meeting about the texts and so I've got some food for thought. So I'm thinking that um, by Sunday, which will be new member Sunday, as well as Mother's Day, uh, by Sunday, I'll have a message. I believe it. God willing and the crick don't rise. <laughs> All right, friends. Well, we will catch you on the podcast again next Tuesday.